Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody survived the wind on the way in? Ladies, I see a lot of hair maybe pulled back, trying to survive all that stuff. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in our series in the book of Acts. We've been, we started a series a few weeks ago, beginning of the new year, in the book of Acts, and the title of the series is Something Bigger Than Me. And what we've seen is that Jesus invites us into something to be a part of something, gives us a mission that is bigger than we are. That is bigger than we are. And we saw in the very first week that he gives us that mission, Acts 1.8, uh, to be witnesses beginning in Jerusalem. Jesus is saying, start right where you are. Start right where you are and be witnesses in Jerusalem. And then he says, expand out from there, Jer- Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, but he says, just be a witness. Just tell people what you have seen and heard, what you have experienced and we kind of said that that's the theme verse that, that gives us, hey, here's what the book of Acts is all about. And then we also came up with kind of our own theme that we're going to trace throughout the book. And the theme is this, that the story of Acts is about one church empowered by one spirit for one mission to spread one mes- message about one Savior. There's a lot of ones in there, right? We, we understand that we are one church. There is only one church of Jesus Christ, and it's made up of all who have put their trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. We are empowered by one spirit. Last week as we studied Acts chapter 2, we saw the day of Pentecost. We saw the Holy Spirit come and it it changed the way believers lived. The followers of Jesus Christ, it empowered them. And what we've seen throughout uh, throughout this series is that when the Holy Spirit fills you, Right? He comes upon you and indwells you as a believer at the moment you put your trust in Christ. But when you're filled with the Spirit, when you have that special filling of the Spirit, we see that it's connected almost always in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament with speaking and witnessing about the Lord. And so we are one church empowered by one Spirit to spread uh, for one mission, to spread one message about one Savior. And if you've been following on in our reading plan, how many of you have kept up with your reading plan so far this year? I, we started that back in September. It's not too late. Now's a great time. You can just go online to riverrockbible.com, look under the resources tab, and jump into the reading plan, and you'll be following along. You'll have read through the entire book of Acts uh, as we go through the series. We're not going to be able to preach through every passage, but you can at least read through the whole book. Uh, and I'd encourage you to participate in that. I know for me, it's been great to read big chunks of Scripture at, at a time. Uh, so I encourage you, five minutes a day, spend reading the Word of God. But if you've been following along with that reading plan, then you already know the background to today's passage, Acts chapter 4. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. We're actually going to start in verse 20, uh, 23, to, right? What, where am I? 23, Acts chapter 4, verse 23, uh, Every once in a while, I I come to a passage, and I feel like I know exactly where God wants me to go with it. And I have to say, Monday morning, I woke up, and I read Acts chapter 4 again, and I was like, man, this is going to be great. I know exactly where God wants me to go with this. And then by Wednesday, as I kept reading, reading through the passage, I realized there's this other part that God was drawing my heart to, and and really drawing my attention to that was really speaking to me. And so I, I felt like God was saying, hey, I, I know you're really excited about this other stuff over here because it's really cool what I did here, um, but I've got something better. I've got something better for, for my people that I want them to learn about and I want them to hear about. And so I'm really excited to see this, but I want you to be caught up. So Acts chapter 2, we ended 
with the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. Believers receive the Holy Spirit. Not only do they receive the Holy Spirit for the first time, but God fills them with the Holy Spirit, and they begin witnessing. And we saw the community that came out of that, the relationships that they had that came out of the the reality of them being on mission together. They were sacrificing for one another, meeting together daily. Uh, And then we read in Acts chapter 3, many of you may be familiar with this story, or at least part of the story. You may be familiar with one of these phrases. Peter and John are all on their way to the temple to meet with all the other believers, as was their habit. They're on their way, and they see this man, lame since birth, 40 years old, lying there begging. And it wasn't uncommon in those days for that to happen. The man is laying there begging, and he calls out to John and Peter, and he says, do you have any money to spare? And this is the part you may be familiar with. Peter says, gold and silver have I none, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. Be healed. And the man who's been lame his entire life is immediately healed and stands up. And he starts to walk. Now, this was amazing. And all the people in town heard about this, and they knew this man. They had passed by him, and all of a sudden, he's not there, and they see him walking. Well, the Sanhedrin, if you remember the Sanhedrin, this is the same group of people that Jesus stood before when he was on trial. These are the same people that put Jesus to death, and they're a little bit upset because people are still preaching in the name of Jesus even after they think they've been rid of this man. They've gotten rid of him, and people are still out there preaching in his name. And so they bring Peter and John in, they bring them in, and they say, hey, uh, tell us by whose name did you do this? And Peter, Peter says, verse 8, look at what happens. Let's look at verse 8, chapter 4. Then Peter was what? He was filled with what? The Holy Spirit. And then what did he do? He said, he spoke. Right here, we see it again. That filling with the Holy Spirit leads to speaking. I've said it almost all, all the weeks of this series. Uh, A person who does not speak often about their Lord proves that they are not filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Doesn't mean you don't have the Holy Spirit. That comes on all believers, but that special filling, that connectedness, that control that we saw last week where you allow the Spirit to control your life. If you're not speaking often about your Lord, you have to wonder, am I allowing the Spirit to control me? Am I being filled with the Holy Spirit? So, He's filled with the Holy Spirit, fulfilling what Jesus promised. He says, look, uh, Jesus promised his disciples, when they bring you in front of the rulers, when they bring you in front of the lawyers, uh, you don't have to worry about what to say because my Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. And so we see this promise fulfilled. And so Peter lays it out. He begins to speak about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And at this, now the Sanhedrin is made up of a couple different groups of people. You have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Pharisees believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees don't. And so kind of starts a little argument among them. And they say, all right, look, just keep, you you can be free to go because we can't punish you. Peter says himself, he's like, are you going to punish me for doing something good? Are you going to punish me for for healing a man that was lame since birth? And they realize, well, we can't punish them because all the people know that God has done a miracle here. And so they tell him, look, just you're free to go. Just don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And we get this this passage from Peter in verse 12 and 13. Um, I love this. Um, Peter tells them there's salvation uh, in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people, and we must be saved by it. And then verses 19 and 20, he says, says this, uh, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. 
leave this verse up here for a minute because he says, look, you decide. Is it right for us to obey God or obey man? You tell me what is right. Now, I know many of us, we get anxious about going to work and sharing our faith at work because it may mean uh, I get passed over for a promotion. It may even mean that they encourage me not to work there anymore. Our kids worry about going to school sometimes and sharing their faith because of what it may mean with their friends, what it may mean for their teachers to say, no, you can't say that here. But each of us has to decide which is right, for us to obey God or for us to obey man. Which is right, for us to obey God or for us to obey man. And then I love this. Verse 20 says, For we are unable to stop speaking about what? About what they have seen and All right, someone who has seen and heard something might be called into court, and they would be called as a what? A witness. What did Jesus tell them they were going to be in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? You will be my witnesses. Simply telling what they've seen and heard. What they've seen and heard. He tells them what they've seen and heard, and I love this because so often we make it so difficult when we think about telling our friends about Jesus. We think, I've got to know all the Bible verses. I've got to know exactly where to show them. I've got to have all the answers. And here Peter says, we're just going to keep talking about what we've seen and heard. What we've seen and heard. And let's go back to that verse 13 that came up just a minute ago because I want to point this out. It says, when they observed their what? Boldness of Peter and John, they realized that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and recognized what? They had been with whom? With Jesus. Let me ask you, do the people in your life, when you speak to them, do they recognize that you've been with Jesus? Do people recognize that you have been with Jesus? Now let me talk about these two words here, uneducated and untrained. Uneducated in the Greek is the word grammatos. Grammatos. It means illiterate. They couldn't read. They couldn't read, right? They're saying these men are essentially illiterate. How is it that they're so smart? The other word is untrained, right? Idiotes. Guess what word we get from idiotes? Idiot. These guys are illiterate idiots. How is it that they know so much? How is it that they're able to respond so well and speak so powerfully? The answer is right here. Last line. They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. I I, want to challenge us. Maybe sometimes we need to be a little bit more like an illiterate idiot and just be with Jesus and let our conversations overflow out of the time that we spend with Jesus and let that be the thing that gives us boldness, not our own knowledge, not our own power, but, but our relationship with Christ. And then we just speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. And so they tell them, hey, you can go. Just don't speak in the name of Jesus. And they're like, well, thanks for that encouragement, but we're not going to listen to you. We're going to keep teaching in the name of Jesus. Now, how many of you at this point, remembering that they're in front of the Sanhedrin, the same group of people that just weeks ago had crucified Jesus. They tell you to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. This is the perfect time for the church to be discouraged. A major roadblock. So far they hadn't faced any, any backlash. Everyone was pretty excited about what was happening. And, and people were being saved every day is what we read at the end of Acts chapter 2. By the end of Acts chapter 3, we read that there are over 5,000 just men. So probably anywhere from ten to 15,000 believers in the city of Jerusalem. Knowing that the city of Jerusalem is only about 30,000, 
in just a few weeks, they've managed to see the half of the city of Jerusalem put their trust in Jesus Christ because God was working so powerfully. And now they face their first obstacle. But what we're going to see in this next passage is that the mission is going to be unhindered. The mission is going to be unhindered. And I believe it's going to be unhindered because of their prayers. We're going to look specifically about how they prayed and what they prayed. And I think there's a lot for us to learn about their prayers. Let's look. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. So they've been released. They go back to their people. It says, <clears throat> I'm in John. I want to be in Acts. Here we go. There we are. After they were released... They went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and elders said to them. When they heard this, they all raised their voice to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage against the the people's plot fetal things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in both In this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, and with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing signs and wonders to be performed through the name of your, your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. I love this passage. It's such a powerful passage. I had intended to focus the entire time on Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin because I love Peter's attitude. I love that he says, forget you. I don't care who you are and I don't care what you do to me. I'm going to keep preaching in the name of Jesus. And I love that. But then I came to this passage and I saw, I saw something special that God wants us to understand. Why was their prayer so powerful? Why was their prayer so powerful? That's what I wrestled with this last week. And the biggest thing that I came up with was that their, their prayers were bigger than themselves. We're talking about being a part of a mission that's bigger than me. How often do we pray such small prayers because we can't pray for anything bigger than me. I think there's a few keys that we can learn from Peter and John in the early believers' prayer here in Acts chapter 4. And the first is this, that engaging in the mission leads to unity in prayer. Engaging in the mission leads to unity in prayer. They were out, they were preaching the gospel, they were being witnesses just as Jesus told them they would be. And they begin facing obstacles. They begin facing a little bit of persecution, which is normal. It's normal for people to reject the message. It's normal for people to push back a little bit, for us to face obstacles when we come to these things. But they were out there and they were doing it, and it leads them to a place of prayer. Look at verses 23 and 24, the first part of 24. It says, after they were released, they went to their own people. The word that's used there in the original language means their companions, people that they belong to. They're gathering with other believers for one purpose and one purpose alone. And that's this. They reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they all raised their voices to God and said, 
I love this passage because it, it brings us back to the end of Acts chapter 1, where again, and we're going to see this theme throughout the book of Acts, where a lot of translations will say they were all in one accord. Cars, cars were much bigger back then, right? Um, all the believers could fit in one Honda Accord. Uh, 5,000 of them in one accord. Uh, but the, the word there is homothumadon. We use, it's used over and over and over again. That they were in one accord. They were, they were of one mind, united in heart and mind. And we see this word used over Acts chapter 1 verse 14. Uh, it, it tells us this. Do we have that verse? Acts chapter 1 verse 14. All right, we don't have it. So it says that they were gathered together and they were praying together in one accord, the prayer. We're going to talk a little bit about that in just a second. They were praying the prayer, right? They were united, praying for one thing. And here, Acts chapter 2, verse 46, we see again at the end of Acts chapter 2, after, after the Holy Spirit comes, that they were in one accord. And then here in Acts chapter 4, the same word, homothumidon, they are of one accord. Their hearts and minds are united to seeing God's mission accomplished. They wanted to see God's mission accomplished. I think so often as believers when we gather, uh, so many times throughout this country we see that people go into church expecting a rock concert coming out with warm fuzzies. But they leave and nothing happens because there's no urgency when it comes to the gospel. I believe if, if we would understand that there was more urgency in our daily life with the gospel than when we come together for times of worship and prayer, it would be earth-shaking. It would be earth-shaking if, if our times of worship were not just feed me, sing the songs that I like, teach me something new, but if our times of worship were gathering and we were coming back and reporting on the things that we had faced this week as we shared Jesus Christ with the people around us. If the conversation over by the coffee was about how I got to share Christ with my neighbor this week, and and he didn't put his trust in Christ, but I got to share, and we celebrated that, then I believe the times where we are worshiping through song and worshiping through the study of word and worshiping through prayer would be earth-shaking. Maybe not the building, but it may shake the foundation of our very lives. We see that engaging in the mission leads to unity in prayer. The next thing we're going to see, uh, and, and I just want to read the passage first. If we look at Acts chapter 4, verse 24, second half. So they're together. They're of one heart and one mind, and they're praying. And what do they pray? Master, you are the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through your Holy Spirit by the mouth of David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage against the people and plot futile things? The kings and the rulers of the earth took their stand and the rulers assembled together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles, the people of Israel assembled together against your holy servant whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant your slaves may speak your message with complete boldness while you stretch out your hand for healings signs and wonders to be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is the key. This is the thing that I think was so powerful in their prayer is that their prayer was focused on the greatness of God's power and not the greatness of their problems. 
When we pray, we ought to focus on the greatness of God's power and not the greatness of our problems. So often, too often, I feel we are more impressed by the greatness of our problems than we are with the greatness of God's power to deliver us from our problems. We get so focused on me and my problems that we forget who we serve. We forget the God who created us. They start their prayer with this this word, Master, Lord, in many translations. And the word they use is the word that we get our word despot from. A despot is someone with absolute power. Absolute power. And they start their prayer by recognizing that God has absolute power. He's the creator of the universe. They go on and they recognize him as the creator of the universe. And later in their prayer, they're going to recognize themselves as slaves. And they say, look, Lord, we're not asking you to bend to our will, but bend us to your will. Conform us to your desires and your likeness, whatever it is you would have us do. And this is the other part that I love is that many times we we develop this theology of sovereignty that, that God is in control. And we say, well, if God's in control, then I'll just sit back, I'll hit the cruise control, and he'll steer He'll drive the car, and that's not how it works. And we see that very clearly here in this passage, that they recognize fully that, God, you are in control. God, it was a part of your predestined plan that Jesus would be crucified. We believe it's a part of your predestined plan that we are going to suffer, that we are facing these obstacles as a church. But we're going to get out there and do what you've told us to do. We're going to continue to act and do the things that you have told us to do no matter what. They didn't allow their their theology of God's sovereignty to completely destroy their own responsibility for doing what God had called them to do. I love that about this prayer, that they, they took responsibility for what God had called them to do. They remembered Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5. If you read that first section of the Sermon on the Mount, those first few verses, towards the end, he says, Blessed are you when people persecute you. And they say all sorts of things about you. Jesus tells his disciples in John 15, a student is not above his teacher. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. He tells us to expect it. And so they understand this is a part of God's plan. And what I love, what I love is they don't ask God to change their circumstances. They don't ask God to change their circumstances. They ask God to embolden them and empower them to face their circumstances. I love that. How often do we find ourselves, and I'm guilty of this myself, we find ourselves praying, God, would you just change my circumstances, when perhaps what God desires for us is not to pray for a change in us in our circumstances, but to ask for the boldness and the strength to face them. We ought to pray for enablement, not for escape. Pray for enablement, not for escape. There's a, a video clip that I'm going to show here in a second. How many of you guys have seen the new Star Wars, uh, the seventh one that came out, Force Awakens, about a year ago? Love that movie. Uh, and there's a clip in here that, that, as I was putting this message together, I thought, you know, so often we just don't understand how prayer works. We just don't get it. And it reminded me of this clip, and I'll explain in just a little bit. The flooding tunnel's over that ridge. We'll get in that way. What was your job when you were based here? Sanitation. Sanitation? 
Then how do you know how to disable the shields? I don't. I'm just here to get Ray. People are counting on us. The galaxy is counting on us. Solo, we'll figure it out. We'll use the Force. That's not how the Force works. Oh, really? You're cold? Come on. You got this young kid who sets out on this mission, and everybody is counting on them to be able to shut down the shields, right? And he says, well, I don't really know how to shut that down the shields because I was just in sanitation when I was here. And he says, we'll use the Force. And Han Solo says, that's not how the Force works. And I think so often we wonder why our prayers aren't being answered. We, we wonder why it feels like our prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. And I think it's because we don't understand how prayer works and how God desires for our prayer to work. You see, what, I think what we often do is we ask God to bend to our will. Dear God, lottery is $183 million this week. It would be great if you let me win. I promise I will tithe to River Rock Bible Church if I win. Right? We ask God to bend to our will, but that's not what we see in this passage. We see a group of people who are saying, Lord, bend us to your will. We believe it may be your desire for us to go through this persecution. And so don't take us away from it. Don't let us miss this opportunity. Instead, embolden us to embrace it. Embolden us to embrace it. And they, they then begin to pray directly in line with Scripture. Verse 24, where they acknowledge that he is the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That's a direct quote from Exodus 20. Then they begin praying. Verses 25 and 26, they're quoting from Psalm, uh, Psalm 2. They're praying in line with Scripture. They're praying in line with God's Word and God's will. God's Word is how he speaks to us and tells us what he wants us to do. In prayer, we speak to him and make ourselves available to accomplish his will. True prayer is not telling God what you want to do, but asking God to do his will in and through us. This prayer was a prayer of recognition of their own weakness and imperfection. They're saying, God, we can't do this on our own, but we we believe you can. We believe you can do it through us. And so we're just going to make ourselves available. God, would you use us? Would you empower us to do your will? That's why it's so important that we're spending time in God's word. And then they ask for these signs and these wonders and these healings. And I read this and I thought to myself, does God still do that today? Does God still work in that way today? I mean, we just saw a man who was, who was crippled from birth stand up and walk in the name of Jesus. Does God still do that today? Does he still work signs, miracles, and wonders? Let me just remind you, before we left uh, for our little Christmas break, we, we had a Sunday morning where we were on our knees for two of our members of River Rock Bible Church who had both been diagnosed with ovarian cancer. One was going into surgery that morning. And after we left here, I immediately called to check on her and found out that when the doctors went into to examine that the tumor was benign and she didn't have cancer. Another one of our members who was facing ovarian cancer just told me this last week that her cancer factor has been cut in half in just the first month of chemo treatment. And God is working. God is working. We have another here who's been diagnosed with lung cancer, had half of a lung removed. And she's here walking today. God is healing. Does God still heal? You better believe it. You better believe it. Does he sometimes use doctors and medicine to do it? Absolutely. 
but he's the creator of those bodies, and it's he who enables that healing to take place. Does God still heal? Absolutely. He heals marriages. I know there are many here this morning who, because of the word of God and people investing in you with the word of God, have had your marriages healed. You've had your finances healed. Last year, we went through Dave Ramsey, and many of us finally, for the first time, created a budget and got ourselves on track. We're getting rid of debt. I heard from a young man this past week who had uh, a couple emergencies come up in his life, and without his emergency fund, man, he would have been sunk. But because he applied the principles that we learned from Scripture, and he had an emergency fund, he was able to take care of it. And he says, I can sleep at night. I don't worry about where the money's going to come from because I'm living by the Word of God. My finances have been healed. My relationships have been healed. Talk about signs. Uh, One of the men on my street, Sean Sanders, is in my community group. He's uh, a regular here at River Rock Bible Church. He's serving in children's ministry today. Week before Christmas, he gets the word that his job is being eliminated at his company. He's been with them for over 15 years. The exact same day, he gets a phone call from another company He's, he's contracted with before, and they offer him the very position that he wanted. Does God give us signs? Does he open doors for us and show us exactly what he wants? Absolutely. Absolutely. But so often we are focused on the greatness of our problems instead of the greatness of our God to overcome them that we miss what he's actually doing in our lives. Don't miss what God is doing. Don't miss what God is doing. The greatest miracle that God does on a regular basis, he brings the death, dead to life. He brings the dead to life. And he's done it for many of you the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ. John 5.24, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, that he who hears these words of mine and believes them has eternal life, does not come into judgment, and has passed from death to life. Now let me ask you, does that say we'll have or does have. It says has. It says you have it the moment you put your trust in Christ. Does that say does not come into judgment or will not come into judgment? That means the moment you put your trust in Christ, you are no longer under judgment. Romans tells us there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Does that say you will have eternal life, uh, that you have passed from death to life, or that you will pass from death to life? You have The moment you put your trust in Christ, you are no longer dead in your sins. You are raised up to walk in new life as a witness for him. Does God still work miracles? You better believe it. And I think there are many here today who know someone in their life that this is the greatest miracle they need to experience. Will you be a witness? The last thing I want us to see is this. Verse 31. Verse 31, it says, When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak God's message with boldness. Again, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And what do they do? They speak timidly, shyly, boldly. With boldness, they speak. I love this. We saw earlier that being on mission leads to unity in prayer. And here we see that unity in prayer leads to being on mission. Unity in prayer leads to being on mission. This passage is amazing. It's a parallel to Acts chapter 2 when Pentecost comes. It's not a second Pentecost. It just kind of parallels that they're united in prayer. Acts chapter 1 verse 14 says they were together praying the prayer. What is the prayer? The prayer they were praying was the prayer for the Holy Spirit because Jesus had instructed them, if you ask my Father, he will send the Holy Spirit. 
And so I think for a week, they were just on their knees. God, send the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. We're ready to go, we're, we're ready to go witness, but we need your Holy Spirit. We can't do it in our own power. God, would you send the Holy Spirit? And I'm sure God's like, yeah, I got, I got it. I got the message, right? I got the memo. It's coming. Just wait. It's coming. And then we see that he answers. And here we see again that they're united. They're united in their prayer. And God answers them. And I love this, that he shakes the foundation of the building that they're in because he is so pleased. He is so pleased with their prayer, he decides to, to let them know. When's the last time you experienced an earth-shaking prayer? When's the last time you experienced that kind of prayer? I believe as a church, when we unite together on mission, when we align our prayers with the word of God, and we make ourselves available to do what God has asked us to do, and we begin verbally witnessing, and we gather together like we will this coming Thursday night, 6.30 to 7, and we are on our knees in prayer, not for sick Aunt Sally in Kalamazoo, but we're on our knees in prayer for our neighbor who doesn't know Christ, our coworker who doesn't know Christ. And we're lifting them up and we're lifting each other up. God, would you use Jack this week to share the gospel with someone? I believe that we will experience earth shaking in our own lives. In our own lives. So I, I want us quickly to look at this last passage of Acts chapter 4. Because I think, again, we see what happens when people are praying together, when they're living uh, together on mission. What happens? A large group of those who believed were of one heart and one mind. There's that word again, homothumadon. And no one said that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. Not communism, but charity, right? This is, not, this is voluntary. Uh, and the apostles were giving testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. There was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person's basic needs. Why? So that they could live on mission, that the mission could continue. Joseph, a Levite, uh, we'll stop there because it gets into Barnabas, and we're going to leave that for another day. But what we see is that God's people, when they're living on mission together, they're praying about the mission together, that they begin drawing closer together in community. And they begin sacrificing for one another and for the mission. And I just want to let you guys know of a couple things that are coming up. We already mentioned the the communion meal that we're going to celebrate next week. We want to have a time together where we celebrate and we remember what Christ has done for us and our own need for the gospel, that it may inspire us to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ with the people around us and that they may come. I would encourage you, if you have a friend who has never been to church before, next Sunday would be a great opportunity for them to come. They don't have to bring anything. You can bring extra for them. But let them see what it looks like to live among a community of people who are of one heart and one mind, who are speaking regularly about their Lord, who are praying. This is going to be a great time next week. Our kids are going to be in here for for part of the service. It's going to be an exciting time. You don't want to miss it. The other thing I want to mention uh, is... um, is our, our prayer coming up this, um, uh, this Thursday night. Again, that's a, a special time. And the last one I want to mention, give you a little heads up. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We've just talked, seen how the early church was sacrificing for one another. On February 19th, we're going to have a special offering. And that offering is going to go uh, to, to missions and church planting. And so I would ask that you would pray 
We spent some time as a family in my house this week talking to our kids and asking them, hey, as a family, what do you think we ought to give above and beyond our normal giving? This is, and we told them, here's what mommy and daddy normally give. We want to give more for this special offering. And then we challenged them. They're five. We said, what do you want to give to be a part of this? What do you think God would call you to give? And so we challenged each of them to pray, God, what do you want me to give above and beyond? that we could further your mission, that we might make some sort of small sacrifice to further your mission. As we close this morning, we're going to move into a time called Take Two, and this is just a little time for you to reflect on what God's Word has said to you. And, And I want to challenge you this morning to take a moment and use this time and think about your own prayer life. Have your prayers been focused on the greatness of your problems rather than the greatness of God's power to overcome those problems? And if so, would you just write that problem down and then, and then make a commitment to search the scriptures to see what God's word has to say about that issue and about God's sovereignty. Come talk with one of our elders. Come get with me. We would love to pray with, that, pray with you about that and, and help you through that. Maybe God has put the name of someone on your heart that you know needs to experience that life-changing miracle of being raised from death to life through faith in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you just recognize in yourself, you know what, God? Uh, I'm not bold at all. But I want to embrace what you've put me in instead of try to run away from it. I want to embrace this situation with boldness. I want to engage this situation that you've put me in, Lord. Would you empower me with your Holy Spirit? Give me the power to speak. I don't know what I'm going to say, God, but give me the power to speak. I don't know what it is that God is saying to you this morning, but I'd ask you to spend some time praying about it as we take two.